Thought Leadership from PwC. When you look at accounting standards, I mean, accounting standards have been developed for decades now, right? And we're asking GHG Protocol to update and develop their standards to be suitable uh, for various you know, stakeholders and various purposes in a very short period of time. Today, we're back talking ESG, and this time it's all about the Greenhouse Gas Protocol. This is PwC's Accounting Podcast. I'm Heather Horn, and thanks so much for joining us today. The Greenhouse Gas Protocol is one of the most widely known and applied sustainability reporting frameworks. And even as ESG reporting continues to increase in prominence with the big three proposals in 2022, the criticality of the GHG protocol is reinforced by its incorporation in some way in each of these proposals. The GHG protocol, Corporate Accounting Reporting Standard, was created for this very purpose as a common standard intended to, in its own words, quote, improve the consistency, transparency, and understandability of reported information, end quote. In light of the changing landscape, as many of you know, in November 2022, GHG Protocol started a process to survey stakeholders to see what updates they really need. So PwC had its own process to gather feedback for the survey and, in fact, had a global working group that spent time every week for the past two months talking through recommendations. So happy to have with me here today Martin Olawinski, who's a partner in our national office and who actually has worked with many companies on GHG reporting and also led our efforts to gather our comments and to develop our responses to the survey. Marjan has a wealth of knowledge on the topic, and I'm happy to welcome him to this broadcast. Marjan, welcome to the podcast. So nice to have you on to talk about something that I think many of our listeners would not have even heard of a year or two ago, and now is a big part of the ESG reporting landscape and conversation. And that would be the Greenhouse Gas Protocol. And as many of our listeners are aware, the Greenhouse Gas Protocol actually in November put out a request for, I'll call it a request for information, but for surveys to solicit views and I think really help form their um, forward-looking agenda. But what can you tell us about that and the, pro- the general process? Hello, Heather. Um it's a, I think it's an accurate statement. Uh, myself, I think I heard the name GHG Protocol for the first time maybe three years ago. Oh, so it, you're one step ahead of us. So. Uh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> However, I spent last year talking about this almost every day. So um, as you mentioned, it's one of the leading accounting standards for emissions, greenhouse gas emissions um, globally. Um, basically what happened, the standard was developed around two, between 2000 and, and 2015, um, and recently, because a lot of regulators are referring to the standard and are going to be relying on the standard, um, the organization that put it out uh, decided to have a deep look into the existing uh, guidelines and rules and decided to poll the public to see what changes are expected and necessary to make it more workable and suitable for the new purpose. So uh, as a result, they, re- they issued four surveys survey one for uh, scope one emissions, one for scope two, one for scope three, and the last one is for market-based methodologies. And basically, through the surveys, they're asking uh, various market participants uh, to provide their comments about um, any changes that might be needed to the standards. All right. Thank you. So then, Marcin, you know, as you are well aware, because you've been part of this, PwC has been 
Developing, I think, our own perspective on the protocol, and in particular, you mentioned started in the 2000s, and the, the base standard, the corporate accounting reporting standard, was issued, I think, in 2004. So a lot has changed in those 19 years since since that happened. And I know that we went through and uh, you know developed our own perspective in responding to the standards. But from your point of view, what are some of the most important things that the GHG protocol needs to focus on now? And then we can dig a little deeper into our other responses. Yes, uh, I would agree with your statements. I mean, a lot has changed. So when initially standard, uh, when the standard was initially developed, it was primarily designed for uh, companies, governments, or municipalities to demonstrate their journey toward emission, uh, emission reduction. So that was a very narrow goal of the standards. Now we see more and more um, other stakeholders, let's name them that way, expressing an interest and uh, these standards being inf- uh, important for other uh, different types of stakeholders. So when you look at the main changes, the first of all, which I think that what they should focus on is focus on the governance, right? So when you look at history of development of the standard, it was what I made, I don't know whether it's the right word to say, but it was a little bit random. So uh, it was uh, develop, developed in increments um, uh, over the years, I don't think that the process of developing the standards was, um, you know, very structured when you, for example, compare it to accounting standards, which, which historically they've been, accounting standards been developed for decades now, and the process of development of standards is really very uh, structured. Protocol lacked this structure, um, and we think that the main reason is because the current governance was not designed to fit that purpose. So I think the first thing they should focus on is, is to you know redefine its purpose and uh, and put in place the better governance, right? So the governance is going to be suited to uh, for development and update of, of of the standards now and going forward. Well, and I think Martin, I'll jump in here because you referenced earlier the GHG protocols incorporation in other uh, standard setting proposals or, or rule proposals, because we did see in 2022, as our regular listeners are aware, the SEC put out its climate proposal. And although the SEC did not say to report in accordance with the GHG protocol, they basically incorporated many of those concepts in their own rule. And then they also said it was a source of information to look at. We also saw the International Sustainability Standards Board referencing the GHG protocol. And then of course, the ESRSs, which are the European Sustainability Reporting Standards put out by EFRAG for the CSRD, which is the EU ESG reporting rules, also references GHG. And I think what's notable here is the fact that all of those other organizations are well-developed. They do have governance, due process, and all the other things in place that we, coming from a financial reporting background, would say are important from a standards perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree. And um as I mentioned before, I think the stakeholders that rely on, on, on trust the standard or use the standard are expanding right now. So um, historically, it was environmental scientists or, or governments. Now you have investors who really look into that standard. You have regulators that look into that standard. Accountants like ourselves, right, uh, who uh, are going to be you know looking into standards because a lot of this information will be included alongside the financial statements and um, of companies both in the United States, but also internationally, right, based on those um, regulatory updates that you mentioned before. So I think that changes the, the landscape and that changes the expectations toward how the standard is being governed, how the standards are being developed. 
what is any type of interpretational guidance. When you look at the standards uh, today, they are high level. And what we see, a lot of current practitioners who are applying that, companies who are using this to report their emissions, they apply it in a, in a different way. So we see a lot of diversity in practice. So that's another thing that we think it's important in order for them to you know, limit this diversity in practice, they have to improve the governance, they have to put out a lot of uh, implementation guidance, how to really apply those those standards in practice, right? I think it's going to be very important going forward if you want to achieve this uh, consistency of application by different companies. Well, so one thing that really struck me when you were speaking, Martin, is you mentioned all the different stakeholders now using the information. And we'll talk a little bit more about our recommendations in a few minutes. But in developing our recommendations, it was based on work that we've done, obviously working with companies and otherwise, but we had a global working group that was comprised of all people like us, so coming from a financial reporting and accounting background, and then people from our sustainability practice, many of whom have been reporting you know, for years and years, and they would not put themselves in that category of this being new in the past few years. And definitely just seeing some of the debate and discussion among our own people because of the different ways people are looking at information, I think is almost like a microcosm of what the GHG protocol is facing in terms of all these different stakeholders with different perspectives and needs. Yeah, I fully agree. I think and one of the concepts that we put out in our uh, response letters or responses to the survey uh, was concept of neutrality, right? So GHG protocol should recognize, should try to be neutral, should recognize that there's so many new different stakeholders and therefore, we, we propose that they should focus on development of these core principles uh, that are going to guide emissions reporting. We're talking about measurement and, and recognition standards, right? And some additionally, some disclosure requirements, which are going to be core, um, core standards, core principles, recognizing the fact that there are some other uh, organizations that might be putting some additional uh, standards or disclosure requirements Therefore, they should primarily focus on these core standards, measurement and, and, and recognition, and be developed, those standards should be developed in a way that allows interoperability, right? So considers there might be other stakeholders, other regulators who are going to be putting their own um, uh, additional requirements, and the GHG protocol should primarily focus on those basic rules and, and guidances. Well, and I agree with that. And I think, Marchin, we use this term building blocks that basically the foundational guidance that we think the GHG protocol should focus on is recognition, measurement and, and base sort of base disclosure, because then it can almost like plug and play with other standard setters if they have different perspectives on materiality, presentation even disclosure, even, you know, or, or otherwise. But if someone wanted to voluntarily apply the standard, then it would be sufficient and provide guidance for them. Yeah, I agree. I, I actually, I love the building blocks uh, analogy. Um, and I, I really genuinely think that that's how they should focus and that's, that's how they should see their, those standards, right? Um, as you mentioned before, working with our global group, with, which includes accountants, sustainability folks, which includes some engineers as well or other consultants, there are different views. The one thing that we all had in common is, is recognition of the facts that we need that basis of measurement and recognition. And all of us could be using everything else kind of a 
um, you know, some other standards to kind of, uh, uh, in addition to this basic basic uh, recognition and measure, measurement rules. So. Well, and I think, March, and you make me laugh with the building blocks because too bad our audience can't see the very bad diagram I drew on one of our whiteboards when we were uh, kind of brainstorming about this. But one of the other points you just made about neutrality, what's interesting is that, you know, neutrality inherently is it should be neutral, right? It's almost like if you have positive and negative numbers, it should be zero. But I think our perspective on neutrality and the sustainability people's perspective on neutrality, even there, we may not even be able to agree what's neutral. So I, I do think this is going to be a challenge. Well, it will be, right? As we mentioned before, when you look at accounting standards, I mean, accounting standards have been developed for decades now, right? And we're asking GHG protocol to update and develop their standards to be suitable uh, for various, you know, stakeholders and various purposes in very short period of time. So, um, but, and that's why I think it's going to be so important that that they start with right governance because they don't have too much time. They don't have the same amount of time like accounting different accounting frameworks had. So they really have to start with the basics. The good thing is, right? They have a lot of places they can look into it. Mm-hmm. Again, we we as accountants, we, pro, we, we offer them an uh, analogy of financial reporting standards and accounting standards. And the reason for that is because those standards have been well designed and developed. They already went through you know uh, various reiterations, made mistakes along the way, and they can draw conclusion and, and they learn from those uh, from this journey and make their process much uh, more efficient and can get to the same point faster if they really look at those, you know, lessons learned, right? And that's why a lot of um, a lot of folks I work with, the sustainability, our sustainability colleagues, were asking me questions: Why we continue referring to the to the uh, to the financial reporting and accounting standards? We made a lot of references to to those frameworks, and the main reason was because they well developed, because they went through those kind of uh, uh, periods of, of of mistakes and and and. And there's a lot of that that GAG protocol can can learn from. And to be honest, when you look at the original, you know, corporate standard, I mean, um, the foundational principles were, ba- were based on financial reporting and financial accounting. So I think they should be look, looking more into these guidance and and and, and learning those lessons. So, March, and we've referenced governance a few times. Well, we talked about purpose, which I think we've explained what we meant in terms of reevaluating purpose. But then we also have talked about governance. And is there any, it's such a broad umbrella term and an easy term to use, but anything specific within governance that you just highlight is sort of the key key ideas that we would want to get across? Uh, when you look at the governance, there are a few pieces that you know we would, we would uh, suggest. First of all, oversight, right? They should have independent oversight. They should be focusing on things like proper funding, just making sure that they're properly funded. And then when you look at a very detailed, uh, specific rules as it relates to standard implementation and update, right? Um, Transparent uh, formal process, uh, having implementation guidance for all the uh, standards that that they're issuing, having the improved organization of standards taken as a whole. Right now, when you look at a GHG protocol website, it's... You know, it is various documents out there. It's really difficult sometimes to navigate which which document is leading. Sometimes those documents are contradictory or have a different uh, approaches. So it might be difficult to navigate how to apply this in practice. So we think they should, you know, one of our recommendations is is also that they should look and consolidate some a lot of this guidance and structure it in a way which is easy to navigate and apply in practice, right? 
So March, and I think the other couple ones that stand out for me in terms of governance then as well is just the sufficiency of staff from all different disciplines. So not just engineering, not just financial reporting, but really all these different stakeholders to bring their expertise to really achieve the objectives of the organization. And then similarly, a board with similar types of expertise. Yeah, I would agree. Um, but th- you mentioned one of my, I think, favorite recommendations we made, which is the organization of the standards. And I will point out that this actually did come from one of our sustainability colleagues, that she made this suggestion on one of our working group calls. And it really is highlighting the fact that, you know, if you read the standards, there it's a lot of commingled information. There's background. There's, I'll call them the actual guidance. There's the, the standards, there's examples, there's all different things. And I think, again, coming from the accounting background, we would look at this and say, you know, some more structure, organization, and some of the types of things that we would expect to see when we look at the accounting standards in terms of different topics, um, standard organization, just even numbering. <laughs> and some of those things can be very helpful because even right now, because of the way the standards grew up, you might even have inconsistencies between the corporate accounting and reporting standard and the scope two standard. Well, also the corporate uh, reporting standard and also scope three. So for example, scope three reporting is uh, voluntary based on a corporate standard. But when you look at the scope three standards, it's required. So like which basis do you um, uh, do you apply? It's kind of interesting because when you look at the scope three guidance, it actually has a you know, process how to navigate this dilemma. And they suggest if you report based on corporate standard, it's up to you. If you report based on scope three, it's required. But we think it should be all kind of, uh, you know, flow naturally. It shouldn't be this, you know, users should not have those dilemmas. They should have a clear idea, you know, what's required, what's volu- what's additional and how to apply that in practice. So as you mentioned, that simple numbering would help. Yes, exactly. And hopefully this is actually something they can take on without having to do a great deal of an additional investigation and, you know, hearings and otherwise just thinking about what that standard would look like and putting that out for comment maybe is relatively more straightforward than some of the other things that need to be addressed in the standards. With the analogy that comes to my mind is FASB doing codification. Exactly. Right. I mean, they, they went through the same process to figure out they had too much, there's too much, diversity there and and they underwent uh, decided to go through a codification process it took them a while but i think now it's the outcome is quite much better much user more user friendly and 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 easier to use right so. agree although i have to admit i was one of the people that was not a huge fan of the codification when it first came out so kind of ironic um Marjan, let's talk big picture recommendations still for a moment and i know one of our other areas we talked about was the data quality and trying to enhance data quality and anything you would highlight there in terms of some of the things we thought they could do to address some of the issues we see. Because I think one of the biggest criticisms we hear is around the amount of estimation that's involved, the amount of inconsistencies between companies because of the amount of interpretation. So anything in particular there that you would highlight? Uh, yes. So um, the few things that we suggested, it's starting with maybe enhanced disclosures about sources of data, about sources of estimation, methodolo- estimation methodology. Uh, we think that's going to help users to better understand, especially now we have to admit that, you know, at current state of development of, of GEG emissions reporting, I think estimation is inevitable, right? So we're going to go through the you know few more years uh, where 
once we are developing better techniques and better data, the companies will be using estimation methodologies. So to re- resolve the issue with a transparency, I think that we should, uh, companies should, or GHG protocol should require more transparent disclosures about the estimation methodologies, data inputs, and so on and so forth. Additional suggestions we made is a, again, we're accountants, so we looked into various accounting standards and we suggested cer- certain uh, hierarchy for uh, data input. So similar when you have in US GAAP on IFRS, level one, two, three, fair value disclosures, we think it's a really good concept and GHG could apply part of that concepts to data quality. So required companies to um, classify the, the different inputs, different data inputs that they use in the estimation and um, disclose the level of that quality so users could be really very quickly could understand know how much estimations involve how much uncertainty and how you know what's the quality of the data being uh being used by the company to estimate the missions and then related to that i think marchin one of the areas we spent a lot of time talking about is scope three and in particular the fact that in scope three it can be very difficult depending on where you're located in the supply chain and the type of product you're selling. So for example, if I'm selling steel or lumber or corn or any of those types of commodities, for me to know what happens next is probably close to impossible in terms of estimating emissions. So I know we had some suggestions for how potentially we could help still give those disclosures because I think we recognize why scope three are so important, but with maybe help you making that a little easier for some companies that don't have that the influence over what's happening or where they're getting their products, both both directions. Yeah, I think that the main issue right now is, in my personal opinion, the level of maturity of scope to reporting. And you now everybody needs to recognize that depending on the size of your company, level of influence you have, the, your access to the data or information, you know, where your products are coming from, what's the emissions uh, profile of those products or how your products are being used, um, you know, might might differ, right? So smaller companies can have a, you know, lower visibility uh, than a bigger company. So lower influence into what, uh, you know, where they're getting products from and what happens with their products uh, later on. So what we suggested is that GHG rethinks the guidance about the scope to reporting. And first of all, instead of, you know, requiring mandatory disclosures, allows to re- uh, users or preparers to recognize the the level of influence they have, a level of access to data, and um, allow certain level of flexibility of what information is being disclosed. So first of all, companies would potentially have to disclose the level of influence they have, and based on that, they would have a little bit more flexibility as to which uh, scope three emissions from value chains they have to disclose and how they disclose there. So what about some ranges, for example, instead of showing the numbers, show some uh, ranges, which coupled with the disclosure of level of influence could give enough information to, to users of what's the profile and what's the risk associated with, with, with those emissions. All right. Well, definitely. Uh, I personally think from talking to various clients that some of that would be welcomed if you know they did adopt any of those types of changes. I guess, Marchin, we've jumped around a little. Those are most of our broad recommendations, but anything else, I'll call it the, the first survey. You called it the scope one. I think it's intended to be broadly the corporate accounting reporting survey, but anything else from there that you would highlight as a recommendation that we made? Um so a few things. I mean, starting with organizational boundary, because this is starting process oftentimes for companies to determine what emissions uh, to report and you know what to include in their emissions inventory. Uh, so what we 
when you look at SEC proposal, all, all big three proposals, they have a slightly different approach, you know, how to determine the um, um, organizational boundary. We as a firm in all our common letters suggested that organization boundary should be um, in line with financial statement consolidation rules. The reason for that is that this information is now going to be included alongside with financial statements and having different bases of, of presentation or consolidation might be confusing. So um, the user would, users will naturally assume that, that, that both sets of data, financial and non-financial, in this case, emissions information, are prepared on the same basis. So I think it's important to, to, to have this, uh, this comparability. We recognize that opera um, operational control boundary, which is very common right now, and GHG protocol currently allows for this consolidation and methodology. It's very, as I said, it's very uh, popular methodology. So most probably um, they will retain this, this methodology. So we suggest that GHG protocol provides more guidance as to how to apply uh, this consolidation method in practice because we see diversity in practice, how various companies are interpreting um, what is really uh, operational control and therefore which types of entities should be included or uh, in emissions reporting. So that's that's one. Um, Before you go on, let me chime in on that one. So, a couple of just thoughts from my perspective on that. And so, obviously, um, you know, we have made this comment in our SEC letter, CSRD, ISSB. So, you know, something as a firm we really think about. And I think one of the benefits we see, in addition to the fact it's reporting the same information, there's a, a large body of literature that tells you how to approach consolidation from a financial reporting perspective. And, you know, I think in comparison, there's much less that's available from the, um, from the GHG protocol. So I do think that's a benefit. I also know though that, you know, the common argument we hear against this is that, oh, but we, we're already doing it this way. It's going to be too complicated to change. And, you know, as we were joking about before we started, then we would still be following the revenue standards from, you know, the 1930s. And that argument, you know, doesn't necessarily really hold together because that means you would never, the reporting would never evolve. So, no, I, okay. I, fu I fully agree. And, uh, and I think when you look at our letter, we specifically uh, refer to various accounting standards as an as a example how those kind of a practical application um, examples could be kind of a considered and what additional complications should be considered uh, by GHG protocol because it's right now it's sort of um, the current guidance is very yes or no type of stuff uh, and we know that existing contractual arrangements between parties are way more complex and a simple determination who is operating or who has a boots on the ground to operate facility might not be the most accurate way to really determining who has operational control, even using the, the GHG protocol lenses, what they consider to, to be definition of this operational control. So um, I think that at the minimum, they should really expand the ex, uh, guidance, any qualitative and quantitative uh, factors to consider in, in terms of determination of, of this control and some practical examples. And then Marcin, I know you were about to go on to something else. So anything else from the corporate survey that you wanted to uh, highlight? I'm an accountant, so I have to go with leases. Uh, so, uh, and I think that's a, one of the most commonly heard comments and questions from our clients right now. Um, when you when you look at the current guidance of GHG protocol around 
leases and how emissions from lease assets should be included uh, or accounted for um, by reporters, it's really a little bit outdated. So their initial rules were based on um, historical ASC 840 or IFRS uh, 15, no, 16, what it was? 16, I think. 16, yeah. 16. And these accounting rules changed quite significantly during the last two to three years. Both the US GAAP and IFRS changed those rules. And I think those accounting changes were very significant and should effectively be uh, reflected in updated uh, GEG protocol. And what I mean by that, historically, GEG protocol recognized the existence of uh, operating and, and finance slash capital leases. And based on this determination, scope one and two emissions would be reported differently, uh, both by lessees and lessors. We believe that um, when you look at updated accounting uh, leasing standards, an updated definition of, of lease, uh, including definition of control, we think that this distinction uh, should no longer be there. So um, what it means that uh, from our standpoint of view, all leases or all emissions from all leased assets should be reported by lessees because they, by definition, they control those assets and they control those emissions. So that's quite substanti- uh, substantial change. But I think that that's very important to make it because you want to have that comparability between financial statements treatment of leases and, and emissions treatment of leases. Well, and I think Martin is actually a good example of why governance is so important because that is the type of update we'd want to see made, I'll call it more timely or more regularly in the future in terms of a regular process to make sure there is that, that interaction. Scope two, are we ready to talk about scope two or anything else from the corporate standard? I think another thing from corporate standard, and maybe that's a little bit more general kind of observation, we also recommend some certain level of consistency with financial reporting standards. So um, uh, we pointed a few areas where GHG protocol should you know, align with financial accounting standards. Uh, one of them is um, you know, more specific guidance about accounting for subsequent events, how to kind of uh, navigate those cutoff issues that that the financial reporting standards have very clear definitions how they, you know, subsequent events should be uh, recognized or not recognized in financial statements for a period. Uh, we're also recommending a clear distinction between um, accounting um, estimates and accounting uh, measurement policies, because right now a GHG protocol does not really distinguish between the two and, and accounting for those type of policies estimation or a policy or, or estimation in general, it's sort of the same. So we suggest that they, they make distinction, clearly identify and define what is the measurement policy and what is estimate. So uh, we believe they have to clearly distinguish the two because the accounting for, uh, for those type of uh, transactions is different, specifically when it relates to what do you do with comparative information. And last but not least, that's my, my favorite, is a, a tracking emissions over time. So right now when you look at a GHG protocol, they have a concept of base year. And basically, corporate standard requires companies to report, I would say, randomly selected base year and track against this base year um, and disclose that base year emissions every year. We think it's really, right now, it's not really well-written guidance. And relevance of this randomly selected base year, it could be 5, 10, 15 years ago, kind of a dimi- diminishes over time. So I think that we it would be you know, better if they focus on, you know, specifically defined comparative periods and do not require the base year disclosure, um, with exception of situations that companies have emissions reduction targets, which then in this case, we believe it's relevant. 
And we also suggested what do you, you know, in what circumstances this or comparative information or, or target basis should be adjusted for any uh, any structural uh, transaction and changes in accounting policies and estimates. So trying to align it more with financial accounting rules because we think it's it's a bit more well better defined right now. Well, and I think what you're saying is so still getting the substance of showing progress over time but without some of the um, pitfalls that we've seen, particularly with having to continually restate the space here for changes in the organization and otherwise. So I'm sorry, I, I almost skipped over uh, your favorite one because we already saw my favorite one, which, which is the organization, the standards. But my second favorite is in scope two. And with my power and utilities background, totally natural that it would be there. But what's our major recommendation that we talked about with respect to scope two? So right now, when you look at a scope two guidance, uh, it requires companies to do their dual reporting. So uh, introduces the concept of, you know, two methods of uh, calculating scope two emissions, location base and market base, and requires companies to rec record report those emissions uh, using the both methods. So essentially, what you see um, is companies having two different scope two emissions. What we suggest is maybe. Um, GHG protocol uh, relaxes some of those rules and does not make this dual reporting mandatory. We generally, as a firm, believe that maybe location basis is a, is a more accurate way because it really uh, focuses on true emissions profile and represents, you know, I would say more gross type of reporting of emissions. Uh, so we think that's more accurate me uh, method of reporting uh, scope to emissions. But we recognize that market base is widely used because it allows companies to better reflect the actions they take in to reduce the, uh, their scope to emission profiles through uh, green uh, energy purchase agreements, purchase of RECs, uh, or emission allowances. So we think that's, you know, it's also valid methodology and it's very popular. However, we believe that the reporting, you know, mandatory reporting of both of those methods uh, uh, might be a little bit too much. So we suggest that the uh, GEG protocol focus on location base and uh, with adequate disclosure about the contractual arrangements, or companies could choose to report both. Exactly, but that location base would be required. And I think the other reason I liked our recommendations in Scope 2, Marchin, is not to get too detailed about power usage, but there is a lot more detail now about when companies are using power. And if you look at the the profile of the power produced at different times of the day, and in different parts of the country, you could have a much different result if it's the middle of the night or during the daytime that you're consuming the power, or maybe if it's at super peak, that might be the dirtiest power compared to other times of the day. And so one of our suggestions that we made was to evolve with technology. And then if companies are doing better tracking of when they're using the power, maybe someone's focused on trying to use that greener power that they should be able to take credit for it. instead of now I'd call the methods almost gross, not gross reporting, but like very broad and not capturing some of that detail. So I think, you know, we did have a recommendation for them to evaluate new technologies and techniques broadly. And I think in particular for scope two, that's important. I also think um, EACs is another area, which may be a term our U.S. audience isn't familiar with, but do you want to highlight some of what we said there? Well, what they are <laughs> and then what we said. Yeah, so EACs are very similar to our RECs, basically. So, um, what do you call them? EACs, RECs, GOs. In yeah, e renewable e energy. Renewable basically. energy credits, basically, right? 
So uh, one of our recommendations is to strengthen certain quality criteria because right now you know, the way the recs are being used are uh, differs, right? So the companies have you know, a, a lot of flexibility how they use and report those recs or EACs. Uh, so you know, oftentimes we see that for the emissions, uh, for use of a power generated in one one part of a country or grid, companies are using EACs, RECs, GEOs, <laughs> you name it, uh, from totally different part of a grid. So maybe that matching is not you know perfect, I would say. So we suggest that the GEG protocol strengthens those quality requirements and requires better map matching of uh, where the power is generated versus where, what RECs are being used. We're also suggesting improvements in terms of uh, timeliness of, uh, you know, when power is generated and when recs were generated and then retired. So they're much closer uh, in, in time. So like using like one month increments as opposed, oftentimes right now, you know, companies are using those uh, recs generated even outside of reporting years. So we suggest that as the markets are developing, recognizing the fact that not all the markets are in the same level of development. So as you mentioned, one of our recommendations was they should kind of consider the, you know, how market is developing and, and have some certain level of flexibility um, in their process. But considering level of development of different markets, they should kind of uh, start tightening those uh, reporting criteria. So if their information is available, um, the timing of power generation and, and, and retirement and, and generation recs should be kind of a, in much smaller increment, increments, like let's say billing cycle or, or a month. Yeah, and I think marching to that point, and one of the things we've talked about here on the podcast, and if you read the news, you can't really miss, is just questions about greenwashing and otherwise. And that, that does come more into play with carbon offsets. We made similar recommendations for carbon offsets, but I do think even with renewable energy, there's there's ways to create headlines out of wrecks from the wrong period and in the wrong place uh, to really question what a company's doing from a sustainability perspective. So some of these changes, I think, will just strengthen the overall nature of the reporting. So we've done a huge gamut of things. I know we have more. Any other ones that you think you'd like to highlight for the audience? I think we mentioned um, account uh, leveraging financial reporting principles, subsequent events, errors, estimation policies, I think those are kind of the main things that, you know, caught my eye. Um, I think the general theme that we had was really kind of a, making those rules more aligned with financial reporting and recognition the fact where this information is being used. And last but not least, also having the, the mechanism to staying uh, current, right? We see, mul you know, multiple new technologies being the develop measurement techniques being developed so they should build in mechanisms that would allow the the protocol to evolve as those technologies are are evolving now, a lot of our colleagues were pointing to 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 things like sustainable aviation fuel mm -hmm. like hydrogen right um or different uh, other kind of a clean agricultural uh commodities right which a lot of our clients as they look in their uh, decarbonization journey. They they looking into the, these new technologies, and oftentimes the currently the, the protocol does not really address you know how how to consider those in in accounting for emissions. So we think, in my opinion, one of the more important uh, governance uh, recommendations was was having the the, the um, having certain uh, mechanism to stay current with as the market is developing, and the market is developing really fast right now. So they should have a mechanism that allows to capture those developments and, and, and certain level of flexibility 
that it could adjust as the new technologies are becoming uh, you know popular on the market. All right. Well, Martin, definitely a lot that we covered. I do know that you are working with a lot of companies right now in terms of their GHG reporting. And we'll have other podcasts with some of sort of latest developments and otherwise. But anything sort of from this process that's made you want to re-emphasize something or, or highlight anything for companies that are trying to do their reporting now? Well, I mean, some of our, in general, as we talk to, to our clients, was a lot a lot of our clients agreed with our comments um the few things that we noticed as i mentioned before we have more and more uh, financial reporting or accounting uh, professionals that are getting involved on a company's front and they're asking very similar questions to us um the whole consistency of financial statement report, reporting boundaries and emission boundaries it's kind of a question that pops up um, you know, left and right. And, and, and I hear a lot from my clients, a lot of practical application questions. They struggle with that. A lot of my clients, especially now when, when you have accountants involved, they look in their financial statement consolidation and this operational control boundary and they struggle. How do I reconcile the two? So they ask a lot of questions, you know, how we design the processes to, to, to make it smoother. So I think those are the, the challenges that companies have. Scope three, right? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of questions about scope three, especially, you know, I can only speak for the United States. I, I spend a lot of time with, with the clients in, in the US and um, the level of, you know, uh, reporting or implementation of scope three guidance is uh, it's kind of growing. Uh, it's not so prevalent as scope one and scope two. So we have a lot of, we hear, we're seeing a lot of questions from clients on scope three, a lot of uh, questions about double counting, a lot of questions about, how to achieve, obtain the quality information, where to get the information from. So I think our comments about the hierarchy of, uh, of, of, of inputs uh, into those calculations, primarily scope three, is going to be appreciated by a lot of our clients. All right. Well, Marcin, definitely appreciate you leading our efforts. And we normally don't do this, but since we did wrap up last night at 11 p.m., it is very top of mind to me that I'd like to also thank the team, the core team that was really working with you. And that would be um, senior managers in the national office, Carolina Mikado and Ayanda Magwaza, uh, who did a huge amount of work. And then as well, Valerie Weeman stepped in to help us, um, the, the five of us all wrapped everything up together. So just appreciate the work you guys did and look forward to hearing what the greenhouse gas protocol does with it. So thanks again. Thank you. That's our show for today. Tune in next week for more fresh episodes so that you never miss any of our audio content. Follow the PwC Accounting Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. And to stay up to date on all our latest accounting and reporting news, sign up for our newsletter at viewpoint.pwc.com. From Thought Leadership at PwC, I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates, and they sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.